When you look at your life, what do you see? Some see what's right in front of them, but they can't see beyond it. They're living kind of nearsighted with their life. Others, they see where to go in the future, but they can't see where to step today. They're living kind of farsighted with their life. But some people see what God sees. They see the identity he made for them, the calling he gave to them, and the destiny he dreams for them. And because they see it, they can live it. This is 2020 Vision for Life. Are you ready to see? Good morning again. Glad to be here with you. My name is Josh, and I'm one of the pastors here. And just excited to see all your faces today. Glad you're here and that you could uh, join us as we uh, sing to the Lord, as we share communion, and as we worship him too, just uh, looking at his word a little bit today. Before we do that, though, um, just uh, I need to chat for just a little bit. Sound good? Don't worry, you're not in trouble. It's good. That, when my parents would say, that, hey, we need to have a chat, that's always bad news. But hey, have you noticed uh, we've been growing? Have you noticed that lately? It's really been uh, pretty phenomenal. Uh, some of the growth that we've seen over the last, really, the last about 18 months. Um, you know, I, I thought, let me just show you some numbers and we'll talk a little more here. But I went back and, and started crunching some numbers this week. You know, we keep saying, oh, we keep seeing more and more people and uh, we just seem to be growing and it's getting full. And this week in our staff meeting, we found out like the kids ministry, the kids wing was was jam-packed last Sunday. And uh, we're needing to uh, get a storage unit built on back there so we can add that last classroom into the mix. And, and things are full. It's a great, great problem. Wouldn't you agree? But check out these numbers. I thought, you know, let's, let's look at a rolling year-over-year 10-week average just to see if what we're seeing with our eyes really matches up to, like, some hard metrics to see if it's, it's legit or not. So check this out. I went back six years just to try to compare. So if you go back these last 10 weeks six years ago, our average was about 245. If you go to the next year, it was 254. If you go 16, 17, 237, 240 in 17 and 18, and 257 a year ago. Do you know what the average has been the last 10 weeks this year? 308. That's like almost 20% growth year over year. Now, yeah, that's awesome. Now, uh, before you, you get kind of ruffled and you go, okay, wh- why are we talking numbers? Like, um, are you just being all about numbers, Josh? What's all this about? Well, yes and no. No, because if, if we would grow by God's grace, that's awesome. But we're not seeking necessarily just to get more people in the seats. However, we do care about numbers because every number that's represented there represents a person who's made in the image of God who needs the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen. And, and God does care about numbers. In fact, he has an entire book in the Old Testament called Numbers. <laughs> and guess what that whole book is about? Counting people. <laughs> and it counts the number of people who are getting ready to go into battle. They're taking a census. That's, that's one of the main points in the book of Numbers is to count how many people are there. Why? Because God cares about people. 
But if you look at those numbers and you count it over Christmas, you go to the holidays, that's kind of a wacky thing. How do we know, Josh, we didn't just have like a ton of people here at Christmas and you're inflating these numbers to feel good about yourself or making us feel good about ourselves, right? Well, uh, let's go back to like a normal growth period, which would be like Labor Day to Thanksgiving for a typical church. Let's go back six years and look at where we were in the fall of 14. So this is Labor Day to Thanksgiving, 253. If we go ahead a year to 15, 256, 16, 259, 17, 256, this is how many people are coming on a Sunday morning. And then a year ago, the fall of 2018, we started to see some growth. By the way, those numbers are pretty flat, 14 through 17. Statistically, it's just like no growth, just total plateau. And it had been that way for about four or five years prior to that too, if we ran the numbers back another five years. You just see no growth over almost a 10-year period, which in most cases, anybody who studies these things would tell you, your church is in trouble if you've plateaued for that long without doing some major changes. And yet look what God did. Last year, fall of 18, we were at about 280. It's a year ago. This year, this fall, we were up to 317 average Labor Day to Thanksgiving. That's significant growth. That's like 10% growth in 18 and 13, almost 14% growth in 2019. Isn't that cool? That's a great thing. Now, have you felt that? Have you seen that? Like, does that, that play out in what you've seen on a Sunday morning? Those of you guys who have been here for a while? For sure. For sure. And uh, by God's grace, more people are coming, more people are hearing the gospel, more people are getting connected into life groups than ever before. Um, we're, we're seeing good things happen. But as that happens, if you haven't noticed we're growing, there's, there's one little issue that comes about. It's called capacity and space for people. Because every one of those uh, souls are part of a body that takes up space. Right? And uh, so we need to create some capacity. So let, let me give you some examples. In our parking lot, our parking lot is packed on most Sunday mornings. We have uh, firsthand stories from some people who came in and uh, they were planning to visit for the first time. They didn't see a parking space that wasn't kind of down in the muck or easy to get to. So what did they do? They kept driving. And if we had one story like that that we know of, I wonder how many more there are. Well, just so you know, our board is working on this issue. Um, we hope to be putting together a plan yet this spring and into the summer that will bring to you as far as what we can do to add some more spots in our parking lot. Yeah, yeah? All right, good deal. Now, uh, how about in the auditorium? If you look around here, um, it's, it's fairly full. There's still pockets, right? Um, but as Americans, we kind of like our space. We like to sprawl out a little bit. In fact, you know, historically, they, they would say that um, at about 80% capacity, you need to create more capacity or you'll start to decline. And uh, figures over the last five or six years have actually pointed that, down, that number down to 70%. So at 70% capacity, if you don't create more capacity for people, whether that's in um, some kind of an event or a church, whatever that is, that your numbers will plateau and eventually decline just reality. We like our space. That's North America. Well, guess what? Uh, capacity, the fire marshal tells us that we can comfortably fit, you know, 450 people in this room. 
Uh, I, he's never been to a worship service, evidently. Because the reality is that about 350, this place is packed. And, um, and that's not 350 just in this room. That's like 350 here on a Sunday morning. And um, do you know that uh, 70% of 350, do you know what that is? About 250, which is where we were plateaued for years. So we kind of resemble, like we, every statistical thing, we kind of fit that mold. We got to create some more space somehow. Um, and not only that, but in our kids' wing as well, we need some more space. Now, um, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to try. Our plan is that on Easter, by the way, Easter last year, our attendance was almost, two, or almost 460. If these metrics hold, we'll be about, we could be anywhere from 525 to 550 on Easter this year. Even the fire marshal says that won't fit in here, right? Uh, Friends, uh, we need to go to two services. And so what we're planning to do, what we're going to try, and I know some of you, you hear that, you've been here a while and you were here, you know, 25 Year plus years ago, we tried two services and you felt like, oh, it didn't go well. It's 25 years ago. We've learned a little bit since then. And just because it, it didn't go well, maybe the first time, that doesn't mean we wouldn't try it again for God's glory, right? So that more people can meet Jesus. And so we're going to try it. Will you give us permission to try it? We're going to work hard. We're going to try it for about seven weeks. We're going to go up through Memorial Day, see how it goes, learn again, see what we can learn. If we need to, we'll keep going. If not, summer tends to to go down a little bit. We'll come back together at one service, kind of regroup and figure out where do we go from here into the fall. But that's the plan. You okay with that? And remember, this is about more people meeting Jesus. It's going to feel a little empty in here potentially some mornings. So guess what you can do? You can either sprawl out or you can all kind of crowd in. And it won't feel as empty. But it's an exciting thing. Now, uh, one of the things about that, before we uh, keep going this morning, and I'll, I'll quit talking about this, but, um, uh, you know, one, one of the issues is we're going to need more workers. And so that's why we're announcing this now. We're, we've been working on this for a while. We're trying to plan ahead and figure out how do we get more people serving in kids ministry, in the nursery, connections. The one cool thing about having two services is you can serve one service and you can still attend a service hear that all the time from people who serve, especially in our kids and nursery ministries, that, uh, man, they really wish they could be in here for the worship service, but they miss, and they would love to even serve more back there if it wasn't for the fact that they would miss being in here on a Sunday morning. So we're going to try it. There's probably going to be some bumps along the way, right? But we're family. We can get through it. You made it through vacation as a family, as a kid. We can make it through two services. And uh, there, are, uh, there are thousands, literally thousands of churches, tens of thousands that do this and thrive. And um, we're confident that as we seek the Lord, as we plan well, we're going to trust him and we're going to follow his lead. So would you pray for us as we do that? And if you can serve, you know, you're worried about, if you're worried about people burning out, where, where are you going to serve so they don't? Where are you going to serve so they don't? Yeah, yeah? All right. That's all I got. Isn't that exciting, though? I think we should be excited about this. Yeah. Well, as we get rolling this morning, have you noticed that most humans have a hidden talent 
And it's that we're pretty good at not being ourselves. You ever notice that? Instead, we kind of settle for uh, cheap imitation or generic versions of ourselves. And we spend our lives uh, constantly wondering if there's anything more to life. Especially the life we find ourselves living. You know, but most of us, we wouldn't make that choice to kind of live a generic life intentionally. We just kind of stumble into it. In fact, it's kind of part of our, our culture, isn't it? Generic living and generic things. Our world is filled with generic things. This is never more apparent than if you have kids and you go to the grocery store and you walk down the cereal aisle. Now, for those of you who buy the generic brand, just take your cheap hat off for a second and pretend you're five and remember how cool the real nice brands of cereal are, right? For instance, have you noticed there's kind of some knockoff versions of cereal? Like there's, uh, there's Lucky Charms or you can get um, Marshmallow Magic. I thought Fortunate Marshmallows would have been a better title for this one. There's Fruity Pebbles. And there's uh, the generic, there's the imitation Confruity Crisp. Somebody just needed two C's in a row on that one. How about uh, Cinnamon Toast Crunch or a Bunch of Cinnamon Squares? That guy's just lazy, whoever that marketing guy is, right? Like, I don't know, Bunch of Cinnamon Squares, that's what we'll call it. I think he, he lost that job and he moved over to this one. He, he had to rename Crispex, so he called it Crispy Hexagons. That works. Now, this one's a good one. Fruit Loops or Fruit Spins. And this last one, this last one's kind of my favorite. Tricks or Pranks. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, like when my mom brought home the pranks, I felt like I got pranked. <laughs> right? I wanted the real stuff and not the fake stuff. And uh, the real stuff, it's like this imitation and it promises all the taste for half the cost. And if, if, by the way, if you don't buy into the cereal one, how about soda? There's more, right? There's like sun drop or citrus drop. There's surge or there's extreme citrus drop. You know, Mr. Pib, Mr. Pig, Dr. Pepper, Dr. Thunder. I like this one, you know, the Mountain Dew guy and the Mellow Yellow, you know, they're, they, they, I don't know, we got Mountain Dew, we got Mellow Yellow. Let's just call it Mountain Yeller. We'll please everybody. But that's what the generic does is it promises all of the taste with half the cost. Now, if you don't buy into my cereal argument, that's okay. We, we get generic cereal too. But the pop, I mean, it really leaves a nasty taste in your mouth. Anybody with me on that? Well, I think what's true of those things can be true of our lives. Like we can live like this imitation life where we settle for the generic and it leaves a bad taste in our mouth. And the reason it leaves a bad taste is because we're created in God's image and he's truly designed us for so much more. He has a plan for you. He has a destiny for you, for your future. Things that we saw last Sunday, he's been dreaming for you to accomplish. He's been dreaming about your life. Will you settle for the generic? It'll cost less, but it'll leave a nasty taste in your mouth. Or will you go full hog for the real thing? With that in mind, let me pray, and then we're going to see Jeremiah again this morning and uh, God's call to us to be our true selves. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. 
Thank you, Jesus, that um, you're not content to settle and leave us being just our uh, plain, generic, sinful selves, but, but you call us to so much more. You call us to, as we'll see this morning, break up the fallow ground, to repent of our sin, to trust you, and then to step by faith into everything that you've dreamed for us. Because ultimately it will bring more glory to you. And as you receive more glory, we receive more joy and others receive more glory. So would you show us that today by your spirit? I pray you would. You teach me as I teach. We pray against the enemy who'd cause us and desire us to uh, just sit still and not chase after you. The Holy Spirit, would you draw us this morning in Jesus' name? Amen. Well, today uh, I'm calling you to step into your true self. It'll cost you more than a generic life, but it won't leave you with that bad aftertaste. Last week we saw, uh, we said we'd be moving through the book of Jeremiah in and out in different places and it'd help us gain some clarity for our own lives. So last week we looked at Jeremiah's call in Jeremiah chapter one and that big truth that you are more unique than you think, that, that God formed you and knit you together in your mother's womb before you even were created. He knew you, he looked into time and saw who you were, who you would be every day was orchestrated and ordained for you before even one of them came to pass. God has dreams for you, friend. He designed you, he has a purpose in mind specifically for you. And because it's his plan and his design, it exceeds anything you could ever do or achieve or dream up on your own. So today we wanna take it a little further because Just because you have a divine design, God designed you, and a divine destiny that he has plans for you, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be willing by faith to step into it. It doesn't. And this week we're going to drop into Jeremiah chapter 4. And we're going to hear Jeremiah's first call as a prophet uh, to the people of Israel to return to who God says they really are. And to return ultimately to God. In this passage, the people of God, they've settled for an imitation. They've settled for a generic version of themselves. In fact, it's, it's a lot worse than that. They, they've really become the worst that they could be. As we said last week, the Bible is not a story of a God who remains distant from his creation. He's not distant. He steps into it. In Jeremiah 1 and throughout the Bible, God is a God who's intimately involved in our world and in your life. And he cares about you. He knows you. He sees you. And it's the story of a God who's incredibly personal, who continues, continues to to bend over backwards, to call a sinful people back to himself. And yet over and over, Throughout the Bible and even today in our own lives, we see people, even ourselves, constantly rejecting, rejecting his love and chasing after lesser things. You know, very little of the Bible is the story of uh, Israel's just absolute passionate love and faithfulness to God. Very Very little of the Bible is about that. In fact, the vast majority shows them constantly turning away from him and settling for the imitation, settling for sin, settling for their own design and their own plan rather than 
than God's design and his desire for them. God's desire for this interaction with us is huge and it's personal for both us and for God. On our end, it means we get to intimately experience hope as he reaches out to us and joy and purpose. On his end, it means that he uh, uh, makes himself vulnerable in a sense to even be rejected by his own creation. You imagine if you created something, you know, you made a little Lego robot and it came to life somehow. And then it said, I don't like you. See ya. And you'd be like, come here, you little punk. And you rip it apart. I mean, isn't it surprising that God doesn't do that to us? That he doesn't just come after us in anger over the ways that we've rejected him and turned from him. But instead he continually reaches out. Yet... God does feel that way and he doesn't hide his emotion in scripture. His emotion of passionate love for his people and his deep hurt when we sin against him. In fact, the metaphor that scripture often uses is that of of adultery when it comes to uh, those who have turned from God and his feeling of that. And any of you who, if, if you've been through that, you've been cheated on, you've been betrayed by someone, you know exactly how God feels. And as you read, even like, so in Jeremiah chapters two and three, we were in Jeremiah one last week, when you get into two and three, you, you just see this emotional outburst from God. And it's filled with incredibly strong language So much that it just kind of grates against our ears when we read it today. And like any wounded lover, we see God caught between anguish and anger, longing and loathing, hope and hate. He's like like the lover who's been cheated on multiple times. And in one breath, they're just like, "I, I I just want them to return. I just want everything to be back to normal. And then in the other breath, it's like, I can't stand you. I don't want to ever be around you again. Just get out of my life. And it's back and forth. And you see God's emotion toward his people and his reaction toward our sin all throughout scripture in this way, especially in Jeremiah chapters two and three, because what's happened here is that, just review this again really briefly, is that God has called the people to himself. He's led them uh, throughout the Old Testament into the promised land, the land he promised to them. And they get there they reject his leadership. They're like, we want a king, even though God was already their king. So he gives them a king. He gives them Saul who didn't go so well. So then he gives them David. And then after David, Solomon. And through Solomon's time, there's incredible peace, all kinds of good things happening. But when Solomon's son, Rehoboam comes to power and Solomon dies, everything goes to pot. And up until this time, all of Israel, there were 12 tribes and the collective 12 were referred to as Israel. But after Rehoboam comes to power, there's a split. And it divides into a group of 10 and a group of two. And the 10 northern tribes from this point on, that's Israel in the narrative of the Old Testament. And the two southern tribes are Judah. Well, one of the things that God had told his people... uh, Uh, Not in these exact terms, but basically, hey, listen, I'm going to put you in the land. But if you choose to sin, you're choosing to suffer. And I will pull you out of this land and I'll put you in exile as discipline for your sin. But if you choose to obey me and do what I say, things are going to go really well for you. Well, guess what? God's people are just like us. And often they would turn from him in their sin. And so 
the 10 northern tribes, Israel. Uh, they had 19 kings. They were all wicked. And what God does then is in uh, 722 BC, he sends the Assyrians in to just uh, totally ravish them and to take them into exile. And often, you'll see this if you would read back through Jeremiah, you'll see this reference to sisters. So that's what, that's what Jeremiah is referring to. Like Israel is the northern sister, Judah another sister. And these sisters see each other and they see each other's adultery before God. And the northern ten, ten tribes are taken off into exile. And these, uh, these southern two of Judah, they last a little longer because a few of their kings were actually good. But God's patience ran out. And eventually they would pay for their sin as well. And so they're conquered by the Babylonians. And Jeremiah is prophesying during this time saying, hey, didn't you see what happened? Didn't you see how they turned from God and how bad it went for them and the ways they betrayed him? Let me tell you how God felt about that and how he feels about you continuing to do it. And if, if you don't repent, if you don't turn back, the same thing that happened to them is happening to you, friends. That's what he's telling them. That's Jeremiah's ministry. Wow, what a, what a fun time of preaching for Jeremiah. Just all doom and gloom. That's why he's called the weeping prophet because no one listened. And so now in chapter four of Jeremiah, with all that context, and after God has, you just see these emotional, uh, not outbursts, not like God is flying off the handle, but it's a way uh, uh, that God shows us how he feels about our sin, right? So as you read this, don't read it and go, man, God is a basket case. That's not the case at all. It's just, it's just him uh, expressing in terms we understand how he views our sin. But now look at chapter four. Let's just read these first four verses together. If you return, O Israel, declares the Lord, Jeremiah prophesying to them. If you return to me, you should return. See, back in, um, in chapter three, in verse 10, I believe it is. Uh, yeah, verse 10, it says, yet for all this, her treacherous, tre- yeah, I can't talk. Her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, but how? If you're looking at it in, in pretense, declares the Lord. In other words, uh, there had been like these moves where they had kind of turned back to God in the past, but they had never really fully turned to him. It was just in pretense. It was just with their lips. It was just, it wasn't really with their whole heart like God wanted. And so you get to chapter four and now he's saying, if you return, O Israel, declares the Lord, if you, it's to me, you should return. Not just pretense, not just lip service, return to me, God says. And if you do this, if if you, and and look, uh, true turning to God uh, results in repentance. It results in change. If you remove your detestable things from my presence, if you don't waver, and if you swear as the Lord lives in truth and justice and righteousness, then nations shall bless themselves in him and in him shall they glory. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground. Sow not among the thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. Now, it's a pretty heavy prophecy, isn't it? Turn back to me. 
to a people who had been rebelling against God and just living kind of these generic lives, not following him. But when they did turn, it was just, with, it was just lip service. It wasn't real. And it, it just left a bad taste in God's mouth because it wasn't the real thing. And he warns them again. And here's what I would say to you this morning. If we're going to be talking here these next few weeks about stepping into who God has designed and made you and destined you to be, do you know how it begins? It begins not just with lip service, like, yeah, that'd be cool, that'd be nice. No, it begins with like full on turning back, returning to the Lord, going to him to see who you are. Repenting of your sin, repenting of, of your stubbornness and going back to him. See, uh, you might say like this, it's time for you to break up with your mess ups. That's really what Judah needed to do. They needed to break up with their sin. They needed to break up with every way that they had messed up in the past and they needed to fully return to the Lord. In verse one of Jeremiah four, we hear God's heart for his people to return, right? He doesn't just want their performance. He wants them to pursue him, not just behavior, but all of them, their very beings, not just their customs, but their core. He wants a true relationship. Return to me, he says. He wants to be his people's passion, their ambition, the one thing that they seek after, the one person they love. You know, this is what God has always wanted for his people, including from us today. And it's kind of surprising, again, if you think about it. I mean, it'd be so easy to expect that God would just be done with us. I mean, he could have written me off so long ago. How about you? How many times does he have to let his heart be trampled on and injured? We said it before, but there were very few years where Israel spent their time uh, loving and worshiping and obeying God. It wasn't their default setting. It's not ours either. Yet over and over again, God pursues us so that we would turn from our generic and fabricated lives to turn from our sin and become what he always imagined us to be. And it means turning from our false selves. Do you have any false selves you ever put on? Where you're just not really truly who you are to people? We all struggle with this, don't we? I think social media just like amped it up by about a hundredfold in the last five to 10 years. But what I want to do is I want to kind of lay out uh, what I think are a handful of false selves. But if you're going to return, if you're going to turn from these and turn to the Lord to be who you truly are, First, God says, you've got to break up the fallow ground. You've you got to become breakable. Again, we don't use that term fallow ground very often, do we? You might if you're a farmer. But fallow ground is this ground that hasn't been farmed or broken up for a long period of time. And so it's hard. And if you throw seed on fallow ground, what happens? Not much, usually. Probably gets eaten, blown away. Very rarely will anything sprout there until what? Until the ground is broken up. Do you see that? God tells them, listen, uh, break up your fallow ground. Turn up your hearts. Turn over the soil that my word could grow in your heart. 
And not only this, not only break up the fallow ground, but um, by the way, Hosea talks about that too. Hosea ten twelve tells us to break up fallow ground. It's time to seek the Lord, he says. And second, they're going to have to be kind of uh, peeled or, or cut back like the, the hardness of their hearts. Do you see that in verse four? Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskins of your hearts. Not, not just this physical act, but it's like literally like, like your heart, God is saying, has become calloused and you need to just, you just need to cut it away and peel it back. Turn up the fallow ground. And what that means, peeling that back, I think there's a sense in which when we sin, we kind of step into this false self of who we are. The generic version. Not the tricks, but the pranks. (laughs) Right? So let, let me give you five false selves that we tend to step into. Because what was true for God's people in Jeremiah 4 is true for us. It's easy to say that we want to be the version of ourselves God's designed us to be. But the truth is, there's kind of five other versions of ourselves we tend to be. The first one, uh, we can tend to buy into uh, the expectations of others. These are just barriers. And so this is the me. If I can get this on. This is the me others want me to be. And it's rooted in sin. Did you know that? The me others want me to be? This, this used to fit. This isn't good. There we go. <laughs> Got it. This is the me others want me to be. See, it's a lot easier uh, to be less than the version of me that God's called me to be, uh, to follow him, to be who he's designed and destined me to be. Uh, we settle for an easier path for a false self. For the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses is said in, in Hebrews chapter 11 that, that Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking forward to the reward. The lie of imitation tells us we can have all the taste with half the cost. But in the end, we live with that bad aftertaste. And one of those things, uh, Moses wanted uh, nothing to do with the fleeting pleasures of sin. He wanted to follow the Lord and be who God called him to be and do what God called him to do. And one of the things you'll need to put off is the expectations of others. The me other people want me to be. Much of our lives, are, they're lived to suit the expectations of other people. Some of you had this in a big way in the house you grew up in, right? Like, If you didn't get a certain grade in a certain class, there were all these expectations of other people put on you, weren't there? And it kind of crushed you. Or or maybe you had some kind of an identity that other people gave you, so you became the class clown and you wore goofy Hawaiian shirts like this one and you made everybody laugh. And uh, really the only place you found your value is when everybody else's expectations of you were met. And do you see? Do you see? There's the expectations of others, the the me that others want me to be instead of living according to God's expectations. And we make their voices louder than God's voice. Sometimes you hear it called peer pressure and it causes us to sin. And we we do it. We settle less for less than God's best. The next one, uh, not just the expectations of others, but sometimes it's the imitation of success. It's the me I think I want to be. The me I think I want to be. 
When I was in high school, I was a pretty good golfer. I played varsity when I was a freshman. And uh, I was number three on the team. And there were, uh, there were three of us uh, practicing one day. And these two older guys, they were both seniors. And I just, I really wanted to be like them. It was the me I thought I wanted to be. They were talking about a party they had been at the weekend before, a concert they had been at the month before. And uh, I was pretty quiet and I just kind of listened in. And, um, but I was looking for that opening to be the person I thought I wanted to be. The imitation of success. What would it be that then other, again, it's kind of expectations of others too, that would somehow be fulfilling to me and would bring joy to my life, Right. And long story short, they were talking about this uh, uh, Tesla concert. Is that the band, Randy? We talked about this. I just, I'm always messed that up. Because now I think Tesla car. That's why I don't really know them. But we, we had shared this story one time. And they were at this concert. And so I heard that and I thought, oh, that's really cool. I, I need to go to that concert. It's like a heavy metal rock band, right? So uh, in my couple weeks later, I see this thing that I can go along with this group of other students to a Petra concert. <laughs> Tesla, Petra, I didn't know either of them, but they sounded the same to me. If you don't know, Tesla is like hardcore heavy metal band. Petra is like this really old Christian rock band, old guys, long hair, tight leather pants they shouldn't be wearing, and <laughs> singing songs to Jesus, right? That's Petra. Tesla, not so much. So I heard Petra and I thought, oh, that's what I need to do because of the me I thought I wanted to be. Now, what's amazing is God still used that because that's actually how I ended up becoming a Christian. I went on that trip. I heard the gospel, this idea of a relationship. Instead of just knowledge about Jesus, actually knowing Jesus. And I I turned from my sin and I put my trust in him. And I actually became who he wants me to be, not who I thought I wanted to be. But what is it for you, that imitation of success? What what are those goals you're looking for? And you have this idea that if, if only I get there, I'll be happy. If only I have this. Man, we spend so much time sinning going after those things, don't we? Trying to achieve an identity that will do nothing but make us miserable. See, sometimes uh, you need to put off the imitation of success to me. I think I want to be. For some people, though, it's the infatuation of, of money. It's the me they pay me to be. So I thought I'd dress myself up a little bit today. How's my hair look after wearing that hat for a while? Not bad? I gotta look good if I'm gonna be the me they pay me to be, right? And it's the infatuation of money. And you, you don't, if you don't become who you're created to be, it's because it's easy sometimes to be whatever people pay you to be. And it's, it's the, the lure of the dollar makes it too hard maybe to step out in faith and really follow Jesus. Again, I chase after something that I think will fulfill me that won't. And it's who we're supposed to be. It's what we're supposed to do. And it leads us to become a generic version of who God created us to be. These drifts in our life. And Jesus says, you can't serve both God and money, right? You might look good. You might dress good. But guess what? It's going to leave a nasty taste in your mouth and in your family's. Don't be the me you're paid to be. Be the me God created you to be. So there's the, 
There's the expectations of others, the imitation of success, the infatuation of money, the preoccupation of life, the the me that time makes me to be. This is uh, my baseball picture from when I was in high school. When I see myself in the mirror, I'm still that thin. You're laughing because you know you've done this too, haven't you? And you see that old picture and you look back and you, uh, you can't even see and maybe even you realize after a while that the way you stand looking in the mirror, you don't even quite stand true when you're looking at yourself. And over time, just the preoccupation of life, you've changed and you haven't realized it. Because instead of living a life full of purpose, you've just kind of drifted along. And for me, you know, I'll see a picture of myself that somebody else takes and I'll think, man, that guy could lose some weight. And then I go, oh, that guy's me. (laughs) Because in my head, that's what I still look like playing baseball as a senior in high school. But sometimes you just become the me that time makes of you and you don't live with any intentionality to truly follow the Lord, but just coast along. Maybe there was nothing terrible that happened, but what about the purpose and intention you could have lived with and what maybe could have happened? Don't, don't be the me that time makes you to be. And, and probably the biggest one that all of us deal with is the projection of self. And all of these kind of filter into this one, the me I want to be. It's almost like there's this projector in my heart that's constantly shining And it's shining incredibly bright and it's projecting this image that I want everyone else to see of who I am. You know that I've got it all together? I don't struggle with that. I don't deal with that. And it's such a bright projection that I don't want people close and then we we can't even see ourselves because we start to believe this false image that's projected out. kind of like the Wizard of Oz. You ever seen the Wizard of Oz? What happens at the end? They make it to Oz. They see the great wizard. They leave and then they come back in and the guy's stumbling and fumbling. And all of a sudden, uh, Dorothy's dog goes running over at the man behind the curtain. Tears at the curtain. And what, what do you see? The, what's the projection up on the wall say? Ignore the man behind the curtain. Friends, we're the guy behind the curtain. Projecting this image of who we want to be rather than who we really are. That's what sin does, is it causes us to be someone we're not. Certainly not someone that God designed us to be. And what's incredible is that eventually in that story, you know, Toto rips the curtain away and the man uh, finally comes out from behind the curtain. The projection gets shut down. And then what's he do? Hops in a balloon. And flies off to live life like he had always wanted to. Maybe like he was designed to. Of those five selves in your life group this week, you're going to just kind of evaluate which one do you struggle with the most? Which one do you struggle with the most and lose yourself in the process? Because often you're the guy behind the curtain, you're the gal behind the curtain and your projection of self is trying to keep everyone, including you from seeing who you are, who God designed you to be. You can shut it down and be liberated to be all that God imagined you to be. 
and fly home like the guy behind the curtain. See, these five selves are constantly in competition with who God created you to be. And if we're not careful, one or all of these versions is who we'll become. But the real reason we chase after these lesser versions is because we've bought into a lesser version of God and a lesser version of life. And that's really where most of the sin in our life comes from. If you trace your struggle with sin back far enough, you can probably connect it to one of those five false selves. You probably can. And if you could see the person who God made you to be, who he's destined you to be in Jesus Christ, all of those lesser versions would pale in comparison. Like if you could put up your best version of you and God's version of you, redeemed in Jesus, you would choose God's version every single time. So we need to break up with these mess ups. We need to break up the fallow ground. We need to, uh, to cut back the hardness of our hearts. And we need to return, not just, uh, see, just, just returning in pretense, like in chapter three, verse 10, that, that's putting on all these false selves. That's just trying to mask it. And we need to return fully to the Lord with our whole hearts and return to the maker of the true you is what I'm going to call it. See, Jeremiah 4 points us back to God himself. He's, he's the truest voice, and by his voice, all things were created and made beautiful. It's only by seeing the truest version of God that you can see the truest version of yourself. Why? Because you're created in his image. And if you've trusted Jesus Christ, he's working to conform you into Jesus' image, to, to form your character, to be more like him so that your life could be lived with the purpose with which God intended. Now, if you, if you don't hear this rightly, you might hear all this and think that I'm preaching some sort of health and wealth gospel that, you know, like uh, be the best version of you, right? And, you know, all your wildest dreams will come true. No, no, no. What I'm saying is be the best version of who God made you to be. And that means turning from your sin, turning to him, allowing him to have his way in your life. And when that happens, when that happens, Jesus gets great glory. Your life might be so much harder. The real costs more than the fake. But guess what? In the end, I'm telling you, there's so much more joy. Even in the midst of the struggle, there's more joy. But it'll be hard if you're willing to turn back fully to the Lord. It's an object lesson as we close. I got some oranges here. And, um, you know, if you just, if you look at an orange, there's really nothing special about an orange, right? You can play catch with it. You guys awake? All right, play catch with it. Nice. You could throw it around like a ball. If you, were, if you were any good, you could juggle it. If you smell it, it kind of smells like an orange. But um, in reality, the real essence of the orange isn't just in and of itself as a ball, is it? 
What do you have to do to get to the fruit of what it really is? Say it again. Yeah, you gotta peel it. You gotta peel away. You gotta break up the fallow ground. You gotta peel away what's fake and what's been added to it. And as you do that, whoever invented these pampered chef things, they're a genius. And you, you peel away to get to the reality, the fruit within. In the same way, friends, I mean, that's, that's the idea of what Jeremiah is teaching us here. What God's calling you to, 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 to not settle just for the, the skin. That's nasty. But to get to the real fruit. To peel away what needs to be peeled away. To return to the maker of that true you. See, look what, look what it says in chapter 4 at the end in verse 4. See, circumcise yourselves, Lord. Remove the force. Can peel things back. Peel it back. O men of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. Lest my wrath go forth like fire. Firefighters kind of call that fighting fire with fire. You know, you got a big blaze that's out of control. When it's so big that the traditional methods of putting it out don't work, what do they do? Water's not an option. Throwing stuff on, it's not an option. They go down to the other side and what do they do? They start a controlled burn and they burn back and it meets in the middle. And then when does it go out? When there's nothing left to burn. Friends, it's similar in your life. Like T.S. Eliot, I need to read this so I quote it correctly. He has a quote where, where he says this. He was a poet. He said, we only have two choices. We only live. We only suspire consumed either by fire or fire. Either the fire of God's wrath for our sin, if we haven't trusted Jesus, or the fire of his Holy Spirit burning away what's fake, but what needs to go, our sin, so that we can become the true version of ourselves. Amen? Listen, as you head out this week, what's some of the hard work you need to do? What's the fallow ground you need to break up? What are the things you need to peel away and cut away and return, return to your maker? He has a great design and a great destiny for you. Trust him in Jesus. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us through him and your goodness. And Lord, uh, as we close, would you do that work in us? Draw us back to you. Um, Cut away what needs to be cut away. Break up what needs to be broken up. So that you would have your way in our lives. Jesus, we love you. And uh, we thank you for your grace. If you're hearing this today and you've never trusted Jesus, listen, that's the first step. It's just simply acknowledging that uh, you're a sinner, you're in need of a savior and trusting him in faith. Just praying to him saying, uh, Lord, I need a savior. Jesus, I trust you. And he promises that if you believe those things truly in your heart and confess them with your mouth, you, you will be saved. And he'll do this work in you. In Jesus' name, amen.